0: Good morning, Linwood. It is good to be here with you today. If you've got your Bible, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to the Old Testament, to 2 Samuel. 18:18, 18:18, and that's where we're going to be today in just a minute, 2 Samuel chapter 18, verse 18, the words will be up on the screen as well, but some of you are probably wondering, who's this guy? Uh, my name is Josh McNall, and I'm a professor at a place called Oklahoma Wesleyan University, and whether you know it or not, yeah, woo, woo, whether you know it or not, we are one of the universities that has a relationship uh, with your church. For years and years, we have had a relationship with Linwood Wesleyan And one of the things that we are passionate about is that college can be a place where young people go not to lose their faith, but to be trained up and raised up and sent out in the faith to build up and nourish communities like yours. And so that's why I'm here. I'm the ambassador of church relations in addition to being a professor at Oklahoma Wesleyan University. And every time I come speak at a church, I speak somewhere about once a month, I tell the pastor, listen, I won't turn the sermon into an infomercial for my school, so I need to make sure that I don't break that promise, but I would love to meet you. We've got connection cards out there if you are interested in a Christian education, either online or on ground. We're going to have a lunch, a light lunch after service if you want to find out more. We have specific scholarships specifically for your church. As a part of the Wesleyan Church, those scholarships have been dramatically increased in the recent years, up to 50% for every single student coming out of a Wesleyan Church like yours, 75% off of tuition for every single ministry major, somebody going into the ministry, 75% off of tuition for people who are the children of pastors or missionaries. So a lot of things that I want to talk to you about, but I can't break my promise about the infomercial. So that is the end of the infomercial. But I want to tell you also why I'm kind of excited to be at Linwood Wesleyan. About 20 years ago, I drove from Oklahoma up to Sioux Falls, and I had never been to Sioux Falls, this great, mysterious northern state of South Dakota. But I came up here, if I'm really honest, for a girl. And my wife's parents, the Maydus, my wife's maiden name is Medu. Brian and Jeanette were a part of this church for years and years back in the 90s. And Brianna and I have now been married for over 15 years. We have four little kids who are all in first service making a lot of noise. And I have, in part, Linwood to thanks to thank for that because uh, this church was a part of uh, my wife's family and training her up and raising her up. So it, it's just a pleasure to be here uh, at, in South Dakota today. But let's get to the life verse. So if you got your Bible, 2 Samuel chapter 18 and Pastor Mark, before he left for sabbatical, he, he emailed me about this series, and he said, hey, I want you to pick something that's kind of been like a formative verse for you, a formative passage in your life. And I thought to myself, like, I don't have a life verse. I, I, just, I, don't, I can't even, it's like, it's always kind of seemed to me a little bit like um, saying, like, who's your favorite kid? <laughs> pick one. And I'm like, I can't pick one. Um, but as I thought about it, this One verse, this weird, obscure verse in the Old Testament, this was the very first verse I ever preached on as a college student. And I hope this is a little better than that, 20 years ago. (laughs) But I need to warn you, as soon as we read it, we're going to read it twice because it's super short, you're going to think, Josh, that's a terrible life verse, (laughs) Like, that's, the, that's not on a coffee mug or a Christian t-shirt or anything. It's like, it's, it's, like the, it's a weird, it's just an obscure verse. I, I hope you'll, like, bear with me because it, it really has shaped my ministry. But before I tell you why, let's read it. So if you've got your Bible, the words will also be up on the screen. 2 Samuel 18, beginning in verse 18, it says this. During his lifetime... Absalom had taken a pillar and erected it in the king's valley as a monument to himself. For he thought, I have no son to carry on the memory of my name. And he named the pillar after himself. And it is called Absalom's Monument to this day. I told you. Weird. Obscure. One more time. During his lifetime... Absalom had taken a pillar and erected it in the king's valley as a monument to himself. For he thought, I have no son to carry on the memory of my name. He named the pillar after himself and it's called Absalom's monument to this day. Let's pray. God, I pray as we talk about this one verse that you would show us that it actually does matter. Because it puts a finger on something that all of us struggle with and wrestle with. and So I pray that it would be living and active and not just a dead letter or a history lesson. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before I talk about this verse, I want to show you a picture. It's a picture of a 1971 Volkswagen Squareback. I think we have it up on the screen right now. And I don't know if any of you have heard of a Volkswagen Squareback. You can see it now. I would describe it as like, imagine like a beetle that's now entered middle age. And it's it's just, you know, it's like a lot of them. It no longer fits into the old, you know, pair of pants. It's a beetle that's morphed a little bit in its shape. But when I came to Oklahoma Wesleyan University, uh, there was a friend of mine named Isaiah. And Isaiah's most prized possession in the whole world was a 1971 Volkswagen Squareback, except that it didn't look like the one up on the screen. It's you know really nice and shiny paint job. His was beat up. It was in rough shape. I don't even think it. I don't know if he drove even. The doors didn't lock. The seats were no longer bolted down. They just sort of racked there on the floorboards. The steering wheel, because it was so old, it didn't lock. And because it was a VW, because it was really lightweight some of us thought it was a fun game to just sort of move it at night to various locations. And you could just sort of push it and just drive it creaked a little bit. But I was a freshman, and I desperately wanted, just probably like a lot of young people, like, I want people to like me? What do I have going for me? And it wasn't me being the greatest athlete in the world. And it wasn't me being, you know, the best looking in the world. But there were a group of senior ministry majors, always the ministry majors, who, and they didn't do destructive things, they weren't involved in bad things, they were really good people, but they were involved in pranks, kind of harmless pranks, and they even had stories of their fathers and their father's fathers who had done pranks over the years at Bartlesville Wesleyan College, which became Oklahoma Wesleyan University, and I looked up to these guys, I'm not going to say their names because several of them do ministry in Sioux Falls, (laughs) so... <laughs> I have signed an agreement not to tell this story with names uh, i won 't say their names, but I desperately wanted to be liked by these guys. I looked up to them they were despite their you know pranks, they were godly people, and so I joined in with what I was promised by a pastor who now lives in Sioux Falls would be the pièce de resistance the ultimate the ultimate prank, and that was to take isaiah 's car unbeknownst to him, and to park it to move it into the school cafeteria, right. We thought that would be really nice by like the, the day, you know, week old lettuce and stuff. But, and so somebody had a, you know, I apparently had a key to the building and they had a way we had measured, it would fit. And so at 3 a.m., freshman year, they all got us up and we headed to Isaiah's car. And because I was, at that time, probably weighed about 98 pounds, they thought it would not be a good idea for me to push, but to be the getaway driver, to be the guy behind the wheel and I began to push this car at 3 a.m. over this little narrow bridge over the sidewalk over a little creek and they opened the door and they removed the middle bar that separated the two doors and we be- they pushed it into the cafeteria building except when they measured the car they hadn't taken into account the side mirror of the car which meant that their calculations, you know, spoiler alert, ministry majors aren't engineers, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> and so I'm behind the wheel, and as they push it about halfway in, it becomes apparent it does not fit, and we don't want to damage anything, and so it's just sort of stuck halfway in to the cafeteria building, and right about that time, it's now about 4 a.m., the ladies basketball coach pulls on campus, and shines his headlights into this group of students, this building that looks like it's birthing a Volkswagen Squareback. <laughs> and all of them, I somehow got out. I don't even know how. And we all scattered like cockroaches back to our din slash dormitory. <laughs> and I remember being so scared. I was not a. Kid. I was not in trouble. I didn't do crazy things. And I remember being so scared that the president of the university was going to like show up at my dorm room and asked me what I did but one of these guys a senior who will remain nameless (laughs) decided a little while later to rally the troops and he began to go dorm room to dorm room and give his sort of like William Wallace Braveheart end of the movie speech and the speech went like guys we can still do this I like, I got a screwdriver. That mirror will come right off. We can still do this. And I remember the one line that he said to everybody as he was rallying the troops. He said, People will remember this. This will go down in history. People will remember this if we can pull this off. And sure enough, he rallied the troops, all except for me, because I was chicken. <laughs> and they went back and they pushed it in to the Oklahoma Wesleyan cafeteria. I think they even took a picture. And guess what? Nobody remembers it, (laughs) which is why I suppose I have to tell the story when I travel sometimes. But that silly, somewhat felonious story (laughs) gets at a principle that's true for everybody. It's not just true for ministry majors who pull pranks. And the principle is this, everybody wants to be remembered, Everybody wants to leave a legacy. There's an old saying that says that a person is only truly dead when someone ceases to say their name. Everybody wants to be remembered. It's why some people do really good things and other people do really bad things. Because if you can't be famous, you can be infamous. Infamous. It's why people sometimes take pictures, it's why we sometimes tell stories, it's why some smart people write autobiographies and other people write their name in spray paint on the town water tower in John Deere Green. We want to leave a mark, we want to be remembered. It's why some of the wealthiest people in the history of our country have done some of the things that they've done, probably for good motives, but also to be remembered. Whether it's Andrew Carnegie with his libraries, or Vanderbilt with his university and other projects, or John D. Rockefeller in the area of public health and, and many other areas. Everybody, including you, we all want to be remembered. And it's why a guy by the name of Absalom sets up a pillar, a monument in the King's Valley in Second Samuel 18. If you've heard folks talk about Oklahoma Western, you know that our university is built on four pillars, but they're not things that are unique to the university. They're things that every Christian should care a lot about. The first pillar is Christ, the primacy of Christ, that he is the son of God, the person that you can give your allegiance to, the one person you can give your allegiance to and trust him with it. The primacy of Christ The priority of scripture, that the Bible is inspired, all the things that were up on the screen, it's trustworthy, it's the word of God. It's not just some old book. The pursuit of truth is the third pillar, that there is such a thing as truth. And truth matters. You can build your life on truth, regardless of what anybody else says. And the last one is the practice of wisdom. That it's not just that truth matters, it's that what you do with it matters, how you live. And those are the pillars that we build our campus on. But there's this other pillar, and it's the one that's illustrated by Absalom. And I think, to be honest, this is the one that if we got really honest, that so many people are building their life on. And so we have to talk about it, and not just those four pillars that I just mentioned. But the first question is... <sighs> who's Absalom? Like maybe some of you like won Bible quiz games growing up, but there's a whole lot of us who are like, I've never heard of this guy. Who is he? And so who is Absalom? I think you can tell a lot about a person, biblically speaking or otherwise, by whether or not modern people name their babies after them. There are some people in the Bible Who are very, like, they're very common baby names. And so we have babies named James, and we have babies named Peter, and babies named Hannah, and babies named Mary. I've never met anybody who introduces me after a sermon and says, hey, meet my son, this is Absalom. (laughs) I mean, he's like right ahead of Judas and Adolf. Not a lot of baby Absaloms. And if your name is Absalom, I am so sorry. (laughs) I am so scared that someday, we're like, I don't know, we just liked it. You, you, You don't see a lot of baby Absaloms. And that's weird because Absalom in many ways had so much going for him. If you read his biography, the first thing you need to know about him is that he was the son of a king. And not just any king, the most important king the warrior, poet, psalmist, king, David. He was the son of David. And that meant that he had connections from his very birth. He was connected in networks of power. He had a dad who actually cared about the God of Scripture, even wrote passages of Scripture. That's probably not something any of us can claim. Hey, my dad wrote part of the Bible. But Absalom could claim that. He was the son of David. He had connections. The Bible says, if it weren't enough that he was the son of, like, the greatest king of all time, he was really, really, really ridiculously good-looking. I like to think of him as Tom, the Tom Brady of the ancient world. You're like, really? He doesn't have enough. He's got a full head of hair and a bunch of Super Bowl rings. Absalom, if you read the Old Testament, was famous for his long, flowing hair. And I don't know if I chose this passage because I was just like triggered by that or I was jealous about that. But he was not just the son of David. He wasn't just connected. He was handsome and he had long, beautiful hair. But that wasn't it. He also had a passion for justice. He cared about right and wrong. And one of the most like powerful, poignant, sad Examples of this is what happened to Absalom's sister, a young lady by the name of Tamar. And I won't go into the details of that, but the bottom line is that Tamar suffered a horrific sexual assault at the hands of another one of her half-brothers, a guy by the name of Amnon. And David, despite all of his many strengths and writing parts of the Bible, didn't do a whole lot about it. Like a lot of later leaders who were imperfect, David kind of chose to use our vernacular to handle it, quote, internally. Didn't do much about what happened to Tamar. Absalom did. And he moved to avenge the death, or rather the assault of his sister by killing the guy who did it. But some of us know this, and you know this probably from your story in certain ways. It's very easy for a passion for justice, which is good turn into a thirst for vengeance, which is not so good. And so this choice to avenge his sister led to a spiral of events where Absalom ultimately took up arms against his Bible-writing dad, David, and in the words of Scripture, stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And he started a civil war, a bloody war violent civil war and in the verse right before this passage we find out what happened to Absalom is that beautiful hair that amazing hair became part of his undoing because as he was fighting as he was racing through the forest his long hair got caught in the branches of a tree serves him right every bald guy like me says (laughs) and he was suspended between heaven and earth Hung from a tree. And a soldier comes, pierces him with the spear, and Absalom dies. And the last footnote on his life is this verse. The worst life verse of all time. Why are we talking about it? That's Absalom. So if you've taken notes, what does Absalom's pillar, this monument have to say to us? The first thing is this. We build things to outlive us all of us especially as we get older we begin to think about what will outlive me I just turned 40 this year I can't even believe that it's like man I'm like at like I don't know halftime maybe late second quarter and all of us begin to care about what's going to outlive us I'm not going to rap from the musical Hamilton I might but there's a line in there Where Alexander says, God, help and forgive me. I want to build something that's going to outlive me. Everybody wants to leave a legacy. And that's why Absalom set up this monument. Because he says, I don't have any sons to carry on my name. And so I'm going to do what powerful men have done for centuries. I'm going to leave my legacy in stone. Or in steel. I'm going to leave behind... This monument. If you read on in his life, weirdly enough, he does later have sons, which some of us as parents is like, yep, thought that would never happen. I was wrong. Absalom was wrong. But we all build things to outlive us. Here's the problem with that. The problem is this, if you're taking notes. For many of us, the problem we have is the same problem Absalom had, and it's this. For many of us, the time ahead may be shorter, and it may move faster than we ever imagined. Amen? Right, and everybody, the the, the more seniored citizens in the room are are shaking their heads. Where did Absalom set up his pillar, this monument to himself? The verse says he set it up in the, the King's Valley. This was, since I'm in South Dakota, the Mount Rushmore of ancient Israel. You only set up a monument in the King's Valley if you knew you were going to be a great king. I mean, this guy's young. He doesn't even have any kids yet when he sets up the pillar. It would be like a guy who's just going into politics. Maybe he's like a county commissioner or something like that. And he's, he goes out, he travels west in South Dakota, goes out there by Mount Rushmore and says, hey, you better get going on my face. We're going to put it right there, right by Lincoln. I'm like, well, you're young, man. That's what Absalom does. He sets up this monument to his amazing kingship because he wants something to outlive him. The problem is the same problem that we all face. turns out the years that he had ahead, the time that he had ahead, was shorter and it moved faster than he anticipated. And so the King's Valley, instead of being a Mount Rushmore to his many accomplishments after 30 years in office, Became a footnote to his failure. A guy who started a civil war and died hanging from a tree. Faster and shorter. We have four kids. They and all their cousins were in first service. They all sat over here. It was very loud. (laughs) And my kids are young. And so my wife and I have this saying. You probably have heard this saying before the days are long, but the years are short. In our house right now. The days are very long. And very loud. But the years are short. And something that all of us have learned. As we want to leave a legacy. We want to be remembered for something. Is that the years start out. Like you're in western South Dakota. And like the space. The highway space between towns. And it's big and long. And it takes a while. But the more you live. That space gets shorter. And it moves faster. And before you know it. Those uh, years are going by like telephone posts. And that causes us to think about this question. What am I building? What kind of monument am I building with my life? That's the question that Absalom's monument poses to every single one of us. I'm reading a book, partly about Albert Einstein, and I'll be honest, I'm terrible at science. I don't understand a lot of Einstein's theories. My wife's a science major. But one of the things that Einstein discovered Is this crazy, weird thing that gravity bends space time? Gravity actually bends time. Like I said, I don't understand that, but here's something else that bends time busyness. It causes the years to go faster. And so the question for all of us is the same one that Absalom's monument poses What are you building? Here's the takeaway, if you're taking notes. The one key thing, this kind of cautionary tale that Absalom's monument says is this. If you, if you build your life as a monument to self, it will ultimately count for very little. What does it say about Absalom's pillar? It says he set it up as a monument to Himself. This is why this is one of my life verses. It's not because it's a great example of how to live, it's, it's an it's incredibly important cautionary tale because if I'm really honest, which I know is hard to do in church, in my humanity, I kind of want to build my life as a monument to me, as a monument to myself. I think that's how most people. I started the sermon with a story about how I just wanted to be liked. Especially in those formative years, whether we're talking about middle school or high school, I just want to be light. And that causes us to build monuments to self. It doesn't change even as we get older. How much of the way that we spend our time is because we're building monuments to self? How much of our pursuit of status Monument to self, even the way we do like simple, simple things like the clothes that we wear and the car that we drive and the home that we live in, we don't set up like these granite, you know, monoliths, but we do the same thing. Monuments to self, we want to be remembered, we want to know that somebody knows that we exist and you see that most acutely in social media. Amen? So I'm taking a little break from social media. I kind of needed to. But this is a a guy that I know named Alan Noble. He writes this. He says, this is how kind of the modern world is. Everyone is on their own private journey of self-expression. And at times, modern life feels like billions of people in the same room shouting their own name so that everyone else knows that they exist and who they are, which, he says, is a fairly accurate description of social media. I love that. He's like, here's modern life. Billions of people all in the same room shouting their own name. What's Absalom doing? He's doing that. He's building his life as a monument to himself. He wants to be remembered. And so the question of this passage, the reason it's a life verse, is because it's a cautionary tale That causes each of us to just ask this question. Here it is. What am I building? What am I building with this life? How am I spending my time? How am I spending the limited resources that I have, however great or however small? What is my presence on social media like? Is it just like that? Millions of people all shouting their own name? What kind of monument? In my building, And that's why it's a practical passage. It is not just a history lesson or a weird Old Testament Bible story. It gets at the heart of what it means to follow Jesus. What are you building? Who are you building it for? Who are you doing it for? And I teach a class at Oklahoma Wesleyan. I teach a preaching class. Some of you are like, really? <laughs> but I always tell my preachers, I say, listen... No preacher has the right to send people away on flat tires. Sermons can have hard parts, warnings, cautionary tales, but the gospel by its very definition is good news. And so you're like this, you're like, Josh, this is kind of a downer passage. Where's the good news? Here's the good news. The good news is that David has another son. David has another son besides Absalom. And you're like, yeah, I know. I studied this when I was in Sunday school. His name's Solomon. He builds a house for God's name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Solomon's one of those other sons. But what we learn about Jesus, one of his most common titles in the New Testament is he is called over and over again the son of David. The good news of this sermon and every sermon is that David has another son, And Jesus models a way of life that says you can build for something bigger than yourself and even if your life doesn't make headlines, it can count for eternity. One of the most amazing things that I've noticed as I've studied history is many of the people who made the biggest difference, you've probably heard pastors say this, they didn't know the thing that they did that made the biggest difference sometimes until years later. They were just trying to be faithful in the little things and so the good news is that David has another son and in some ways he is completely unlike Absalom for one thing the prophet the Old Testament prophet says apparently he wasn't handsome prophet says there was nothing in his appearance to draw us to him he was like one from whom men turned away their faces wasn't on the cover of GQ I don't know about his hair didn't say anything about that He wasn't violent. He asked us to do this inexplicable thing, like turn the other cheek. He wasn't like Absalom in in that regard. But in other ways, Jesus was. Because just like Absalom, he was the son of the ultimate king. And just like Absalom, he launched a rebellion, a revolution that is still transforming the world without raising a sword or firing a shot. And just like Absalom, at the end of his life, this other son of David was suspended between heaven and earth. He was hung from a tree. And a soldier came and pierced him through. And yet, David's other son is the most important person who's ever lived. He's the one person that you can give your allegiance to. He's the one person whose life actually is the hinge point of history. We call this 2022 in relation to Jesus. You can trust him with your life. What are you building? What kind of monument are you leaving behind? I'm gonna land the plane, which is always an important part of a sermon. There's a guy who lived a long time ago. His name is Christopher Wren. The worship team's gonna come. We're gonna sing a song here before we go. But Christopher Wren was the architect of St. Paul's Cathedral in London. And after, 12 years after it was finished, he died. But he's famous because he remade through his life the London skyline. So many of the iconic buildings, including St. Paul's after the great London fire of 1666. You remember that, right? Um, Are the product of Christopher Wren's work. And so he was buried in St. Paul's. And if you've been in some of these old places, you, you know, like a lot of times they'll set up like a big monument, maybe a big pillar or a big statue to important people, but Christopher Wren doesn't have any of that. No monument, no pillar, no statue. But his son, in a very small Latin plaque, wrote this. It'll be up on the screen. Reader, if you seek his monument, look around you. It's not just a pillar, it is a church that he built and a city that he transformed. I think Jesus did that. If you want to see his monument, it's not some cold stone. It's the church that he built. And the city, Sioux Falls is one of them, that he loves. And the reason this is a life verse is because it encouraged all of us to build for that and not for self but that's the way your life can make an eternal difference and so let's pray before we sing again God thank you thank you for this obscure passage probably many of us just haven't read over or never read it but thank you that it reminds us of this crucial danger that while all of us want to matter we have a tendency to build our life as a monument to ourselves, in little ways. Maybe the way that we spend our time, the way we structure our money, the way we order our desires, our habits, maybe even the way we order our life on social media. Help us not to imitate Absalom's failure, but to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and to leave a legacy that matters. Even if we don't have millions of dollars or lots of power, that we can count for something because we've given our allegiance to him. That's our prayer. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.